Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of. One that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And we tell stories about everything here on this show. And on our show, America is the star. It's not a perfect country, but it's a good and great one, filled with good and great people, and beautiful people, too. And by the way, that's the purpose of this show, is to rally people around with something positive to listen to every day in our world filled with anger, vitriol, and in the end, ugliness. This is a beautiful respite in your day of content and programming and listening. And by the way, if you want to help support our cause, we are a nonprofit. And though the show is free for you to listen to, it is not free to make. Feel free to make a donation or a contribution 
to Our American Stories by going to OurAmericanStories.com. That's OurAmericanStories.com. And up next, a listener story, and we love doing this. And this is a story from one of our regular contributors, Joy Neal Kidney. Joy listens to our show in Iowa on WHO News Radio, 1040 AM, a great iHeart station. Her contribution today is called Roller Skating in the House. Take it away, Joy. I grew up in an old white American Foursquare farmhouse, four miles of gravel south of Dexter, Iowa. Though none of the rural roads were labeled then, and there no longer was a creamery. When we said we lived on Old Creamery Road, everyone knew which one it was. I loved this house, but my mother did not. One of my favorite parts of the house was the front porch toward the road. My sister and I played cowgirls there, played with whatever pet we had at the time, even Rusty the Squirrel, and watched rainstorms from there. All four of us even bundled up in blankets on the porch the fall of 1957 to watch for Sputnik go sailing over the farm. The front door led to the kitchen with a round pedestal table and white Youngstown cupboards. Mom decorated the room in pink and green. She even had pink and green square Melmac dishes which were large enough so that Uncle Bill didn't have to pile food on top of food when he worked with Dad and ate with us. The crank telephone was on the wall near the table. Our number was 5211. Our ring was four shorts. North of the kitchen was the living room with a smaller room off of it to the west where Mom's treadle sewing machine was. An oil stove heated the larger room I remember pulling a tooth, sitting with my back against that cozy stove. The upright piano was in that room, our very first television, black and white, and a maroon plushy sofa where Dad sat with an ashtray on a stand, its handle shaped like a leaping greyhound. When the stove was taken down each spring, that room seemed so much larger. Upstairs wasn't heated. Gloria and I shared the north bedroom. Off that room were two smaller ones, one empty and the other used for storage. Mom's trunk with high school souvenirs and Dad's from the Air Corps. The south bedroom upstairs was Mom and Dad's. It had no closets. Dad installed some rods and Mom shared blue sheets on poles to conceal their clothes. She'd done the same thing when they were living in a church in Texas during the war. Behind the kitchen downstairs is what we called the mudroom, until Mom changed our terminology to the utility room. Men washed up for noon dinner at that sink because it was right inside the back door, the one we usually used from the garage. The old cob burning stove was in there. It was handy when the electricity went out. Once Mom sewed up a baby pig after its mother had stepped on it and kept it warm behind that old stove, I decided then and there I'd never marry a farmer. When Dad removed that old stove, 
Mom let us roller skate in there. All the floors in the house were covered with linoleum, and the floor in the mudroom even slanted. How I love this old house. The other special places were behind the pedestal table and under the stairway. We called them cubby holes. Dad's was the smaller one above, where he kept his watch and billfold and camel cigarettes. The one underneath was large enough for two young girls to sit on the floor with our treasures, bird's nests, pretty rocks, and whatever else we'd found as we explored the farm. What I remember most about those cubby holes, though, was the strong smell of mice. Mom had to set mouse traps in most of the rooms, especially the kitchen, hating to find mouse pellets among her dish towels. The mice, the leaning floors, lack of closets, trying to heat the place. My mother longed for a new house. She'd even drawn up plans for it. Then one day when Grandpa and Grandma Neal were leaving after a visit, Grandma's foot broke through a board on the front porch. That triggered some earnest planning and they eventually tore down my childhood mansion. But my mother finally got her small, green, mouse-proof house. And great job, as always, by Monty, and a special thanks to Joy Neal Kidney and the story of her childhood home. And you can see the large pink and green plates to accommodate Uncle Bill's, let's just say, hearty appetite and that oil stove heating the large room in the home, no heat upstairs, and then it would get taken apart every spring, which of course the kids loved because they could roller skate in the house. And there were days when people lived like this. First black and white TV, three channels. By the way, I'm old enough to remember three channels and a black and white TV, and how happy we were to just have three. And my goodness, just a great and beautiful voice from our affiliate in Des Moines, Iowa, WHO News Radio 1040. Joy Neal Kidney on her childhood house, roller skating in the living room here on Our American Story. Folks, if you love the stories we tell about this great country and especially the stories of America's rich past, know that all of our stories about American history, from war to innovation, culture, and faith, are brought to us by the great folks at Hillsdale College, a place where students study all the things that are beautiful in life and all the things that are good in life. And if you can't get to Hillsdale, Hillsdale will come to you with their free and terrific online courses. Go to hillsdale.edu to learn more. And we continue with our American stories and with a compelling tribute from two grown kids to their late parents. Jay Van Andel is best known as the co-founder of Amway, but he also was the founder of a namesake medical research institute and a dad. Here's siblings Dave Van Andel and Barb Gaby on their parents, Jay and Betty. I had a front row seat every night at the dinner table with one half of a duo that was experiencing an incredible story in life called Amway. You know, when I, I was born the year that Amway was founded. So 
I knew nothing else but the Amway story. But every night at the dinner table, we would hear about what happened, you know, at work and, you know, inevitably there was always a lesson in there somewhere. As we got older, he began to bring those things home and then he would also challenge us. Say, okay, you know, what would, what would you do in a situation like this? A couple of us would chirp in and we'd debate that. And then he'd go, okay, here's what I did. So you'd, you'd learn and here's what, what happened because of that. He would do that more often than not. And I got to see a front row seat of two entrepreneurs going through and living this story real time. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't even know half the questions. But they knew that they had the will, they had the drive, and they, they had the desire to be able to see these things through. And as these bumps in the road came along, took it in stride, and kept moving forward. It was better than any graduate school you could ever go to. One of the sticklers that my mom had, bless her heart, was that we would always eat dinner as a family. We may not eat breakfast together, we certainly wouldn't eat lunch together because we'd all be in different places, but when dinner came around, we would always eat. And my dad always worked late, so for us, typically we wouldn't get to dinner till 7, 7.30 at night. But it was that discipline that my mom had with us that also taught us that family is important and there has to be at least a touch point during the day that family's family. Everybody's together. You know, after that, okay, yeah, you go back and do whatever you got to do, but we're together and that's when we'd all chirp in because he'd invariably, what'd you do today? What'd you do today? All that kind of stuff. And I carried that forward even into our family when we were raising our kids to ask the kids every day. What, do you, what did you do? And we talk about their, their day and all that kind of stuff. My dad was a very structured person. <laughs> he was always at work at nine. He would get home at six. He and my mom would sit together for about an hour before dinner and then we'd have dinner. And then he would go back to work. That was his discipline of his, his whole life. He didn't go and watch TV. He was either reading, he was doing something for work. He would never go to bed until midnight, but when I was a little girl, four or five years old, every night before I went to bed, I got to sit on his lap and he would either tell me a story or read me a story. So I just remember that affection of a father who was very busy, I knew he was very busy, but he took the time to be with me in that very special way and that, that meant a lot to me. 1979, because at that time there was almost a malaise within our country that Free enterprise, capitalism were bad words, didn't work. And the interesting thing he did that year is he took us on, it was, he, call, he called it around the world in 28 days. And it really was around the world in 28 days. But the part of that trip that I remember the most, that impacted me the most, was he had a deep desire to go into communist Russia. So we couldn't fly in there. We had gone to Scandinavia and we drove a bus from Finland into the USSR. 
and we were going to what was then have been Leningrad, which was St. Petersburg, you know, it had been renamed a couple times. First thing first, you get stopped, of course, at the border. Everybody comes off, all the suitcases come off, everything gets opened. Everything's open, and the Russians are standing there at the border and doing all this, and going through everything. And my mother or my father had Reader's Digest with them, and the Russian guy looks at that and goes, what is this? It was a Reader's Digest. You know, I go back and forth on this. And finally, my dad figured out, he goes, would you like it? You can have it. And the guy, you know, kind of secretly stuffed it under it. Back then, they never got anything from the outside. I mean, this was, this was Russia in the heyday when everything was pretty well shut off. And so that was the first experience, getting in it. So then, as, as we drive from the border into St. Petersburg, they have these towers along the highway, and they have it timed that the bus needs to get to the next checkpoint at a certain time in order to be considered okay, and that you're timed from checkpoint to checkpoint to checkpoint until you get to your ultimate destination. So the fellow that was driving the bus, I, I think, I'm pretty sure he was Finnish, He's sweating a little bit because he knows he has to do this thing just right or he's going to get in trouble. Long story short, no problem. We get there. And we're at this hotel. And there's one place that you could stay, one hotel you could stay in. And there was nobody in the hotel. There was nobody. There were no people around. And we do this check-in experience. Well, it's not what you would expect today. Passports, paper, you know, papers, everything you have to go, luggage, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, as you get assigned, they'll take you up with your bag, with you, to your room. When you get off the elevator, there's another table there with two people sitting there. And these are people checking to see who you are. You got to show your passport again, you got to show your key, you got to show all this kind of, you got to prove that you're supposed to be there. And then they take you ultimately to your room. The beds that we slept in were actually hospital beds that had like the big round open circle for operations. It was just very strange. The elevators didn't work. Half the time it was you were halfway up a floor and it just stopped. Well, <clears throat> my dad also knew that the rooms invariably were bugged that, you know, they were listening. So he said, look, nobody talked any weird stuff or anything like that, but just so you understand, this is, this is happening. Well, they had a um, piano in one of the rooms, and I had been taking piano lessons for a while. So just as a point of fun, I decided to play the Battle Hymn of the Republic in this Russian hotel on this, you know, crazy journey that we were on and start singing at the top of my lungs this, this song. And invariably my parents were laughing and giggling and they were singing along and all this kind of stuff too. So that was a little, little history lesson there. So they took us to all the, you had certain places that you could go. 
and you couldn't see anything else. And there was a woman and she just said to me, remember what you have. And I didn't know what that meant, but I thought, okay. <laughs> it really just, it, it impacted me of how poor that country really was and how there were no churches. People were not happy and they were hurting. And I, I think my dad really wanted me to see that because he wanted to, me to understand what communism truly does. When we come back, more from Dave Van Andel and Barb Gaby, paying tribute to their parents, Jay and Betty Van Andel, here on Our American Story. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry radio discover more shows and movies for free 
And we continue with Our American Stories and with siblings Dave Van Andel and Barb Gaby paying tribute to their parents, Jay and Betty Van Andel. Um, my mom never knew I had children. So I, my, uh, my mom, we first started to show the symptoms of Alzheimer's in, in about 1988. And my first daughter was born in 1991. And by that time, she did not know. She knew who I was sometimes, but a lot of times she didn't. And she never knew I had any children. And she, uh, she died in 2004. And so that, that, was, that was very challenging. I, I missed that. I wish, but you know, I missed it, yes. But the way she raised me and the way she raised us, that was all the example I needed. I have a very clear memory of my mom. My bedroom was upstairs and my mom had her little office area and sitting area kind of down on the bottom of the stairs. And I remember my mom, when I would get up every morning getting ready for school, I'd look down there and she was reading her Bible and praying. And that's what she did for her family. And I believe those prayers carried on long after she no longer was with us and they still are there today. And that is something that she instilled into me as a wife and a mother is to do the exact same thing for my kids now. I just, I just felt very um, convicted and compelled to let my parents know in whatever way I could how much I had loved and appreciated them. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. But were they committed? Absolutely. And I had you know, really lost, my mom had probably been about 10 years into the um, Alzheimer's and she really wasn't communicating at all. And I basically wrote a letter to her telling her how much I loved her, how much I respected her as a woman, that I had learned how to be a mother based on how she had been a mother to all of us. And then I just thanked her for showing me her faith through the years because it was by her example that I believe that I became a Christian. And she did this most amazing thing. She reached out and she looked at me and she goes, my loving daughter. She had not said anything to me for over 10 years. And she did that. And it was a beautiful moment because I felt like I had maybe reached my mom in some way. And my dad thanked me as well for what I had read to him as well. And I said, you know, Dad, I just want you to know this because I think it's important to you to understand how deeply I love and respect you. And I had written the same thing. And my dad was not one for tears. And he, he was weeping at the end and he thanked me 
So I was really thankful that God had given me an opportunity to be able to do that. And, um, and then it was a few years after we got mom help that I noticed with dad that he wasn't doing well either. And um, he, he. I think the, the, the two most hideous diseases are Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. One of them steals your mind and one of them steals your body. My mother ended up with Alzheimer's, tore her away from us years before she passed away. You know, she was there, but for 15 years of decline, she wasn't there for 10 or 12 of them. And my dad, the opposite, Parkinson's, which ravaged the body's function. For a man who, and, and here's the other interesting thing, Parkinson's patients, not always, but, but typically, do not have decline in acumen. The, the most frustrating thing I think about a Parkinson's patient is that their mind is just as sharp as it always was, but they're trapped in their body. They can't express themselves. And it's uncomfortable for a lot of people to be around, unless you understand it, but it's frustrating for the patient too because there's so many things they wish they could do. And I, I hate that disease because it took away the time in his life that I would have loved to have been able to have those conversations. Because now all of a sudden I'm at that stage. I am having kids. I'm, you know, embarked on a career. I'm doing all those things. Yeah, we've had some of these conversations, but now I'm living it too, and I want to have more of those conversations, and I can't have it. My father's last public appearance was at the dedication ceremony for the Van Andel Institute. It was in May of 2000, and I'll never forget it. And I knew that he wanted to talk. I knew that he wanted to deliver a message and that I was gonna do everything in my power to make sure that it happened. So we'd had the then governor, Engler, we had President Ford come and they were gonna help us do the ribbon cutting. We had done all that and we had gathered, you know, five, 600 people were outdoors. And my dad would, was his turn to speak. I got him up to the lectern and if you know a Parkinson's patient, you know that it, it takes them a certain amount of time to make the connections to make all of that happen and then when it starts it just flows but he was standing there and nothing was happening I had been hanging on to his arm a little bit and people are getting a little uncomfortable in the audience and Jerry Ford was going to step forward and I just kind of touched him and said no just stay he's going to be fine it'll, it'll happen and then it started you know, it was, it was a long pause, but then it started, and then he delivered his message. And it, it probably went five, seven minutes. Might have seemed a little longer than that. And because also it's so difficult for them to speak, they tend to choose their words very carefully. And so there's a lot of weight that's attached to each word that he uses. And he did just that. And he delivered, in my opinion, one of the best little speeches that he's ever delivered in his life. And that was the last time that I saw him speak publicly on anything. 
One of the things he also did is he made sure that they both stayed together and they were both at home. Not putting you know, her in a hall, not doing any of that. Every, we stay together and I'm convinced because they died in less than a year apart from each other that he willed himself to live to care for her. I mean, that was that continuation of that great love story. And you're listening to Dave Van Andel and Barb Gaby pay tribute to their parents, Jay and Betty Van Andel. Were they perfect parents? Absolutely not. Were they committed? Absolutely. And that's all kids could ever ask for in their lives is committed parents. And we need more of them now than ever before. We spend so much time on this on our show. If you've got tributes like this for your parents, share them with us at ouramericanstories.com. They are so moving. And we need to say these words to them. They can't live without recognition either. They need it. They crave it. Dave Van Andel's story, Barb Gaby's story, in a way, Jay and Betty Van Andel's story, here on Our American Stories. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. But the six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348 With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex-
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And we tell stories about everything here on this show, from the arts to sports and from business to history, and everything in between. And every once in a while, I share a story about my life, particularly about my parents. And this story is brought to us by the folks at the Daniels Fund. And this is our Do the Right Thing series about ethical dilemmas that we all face and that parents face each and every day, many ones, big ones. Here's my story, and I wrote about this in Newsweek. So I'm just going to do a dramatic reading from the piece. Looking back on my life through the rearview mirror, three pivot points in my life come to mind. The first came after being hit by a car in my small hometown in New Jersey. I was 10 years old. I was playing basketball in a friend's driveway. The ball made its way into the street. I darted behind a parked car and without looking, by the way, to retrieve it. I never had a chance, neither did the driver. I was sent soaring into the air and soon I was speeding to the hospital in an ambulance. My left leg had been shattered, my head was banged up, but I escaped life-threatening injury. I was on crutches for 10 months, but it could have been much worse. A few weeks later, my family got a visit from a lawyer. It was back before personal injury lawyers could advertise on television and they had a nickname. They were called ambulance chasers because that's how they got their business. This lawyer had managed to find out about my accident and came to our home to talk about the case he thought we had against the owner of the home where I was playing basketball unsupervised, as well as the driver who struck me. As it turns out, the driver was speeding slightly from the looks of the skid marks at the accident scene. The lawyer, whose name I have long forgotten, spoke to me briefly, along with my mom and dad. Soon, I was asked to leave the room so the adults could talk. Well, as kids often do, I left, but I positioned myself near the ductwork in an adjoining room where I could overhear their every word. The lawyer, he began his pitch, asking questions about the medical bills and other things that had to do with my future. He assured my parents that if given the chance, he could garner a hefty settlement from the insurance companies representing the property owner and the driver. A settlement that would help pay my college bills or help out with family bills. God knows there were no college funds in my home and there were certainly plenty of bills. At the time, my dad was a teacher and a basketball coach in the neighboring town public school system and my mom worked part-time in a clothing store. Needless to say, they could have used the money. And the man was talking about real money, $50,000 or maybe more for my injuries and my pain and suffering. I nearly gasped when I heard that number. I'm rich. I thought to myself, we're rich. Then it was my dad's turn to talk. And these are the words he said. I'll never forget them. We're not interested in suing people in our neighborhood, he said. And he said it calmly. The accident, my father pointed out, was his son's fault. 
He'd failed to look both ways before crossing the street, and the driver had no way to avoid the collision. And then my dad said these words, quote, I don't want to reward my son for his own negligence. So thanks, but no thanks. And with that, the conversation ended. In one last plea, the lawyer asked my dad to keep his card in case he changed his mind. My dad said, that won't be necessary. That was the end. It was an easy decision for my mother and father, who were in lockstep on matters like these. In the weeks that followed, they never mentioned the talk with the lawyer or the settlement figure they'd rejected. I didn't have the guts to ask my parents about that day, and I certainly didn't want them to know I'd eavesdropped on their conversation. But I was not happy with their decision. They'd chosen to turn down money, real money, that was lawfully mine. I couldn't understand it. It was, after all, the insurance companies that would be ponying up the money, not the two families in town the lawyer was planning to sue. After a month stewing about their decisions and pretty much keeping my mouth shut, I finally mustered up the courage to talk to my dad. He told me everything, including the number. But dad, that was my money, I pleaded. And my dad said these words to me. People shouldn't be rewarded for doing the wrong thing, and people shouldn't be punished for things they didn't do, my dad told me. And that's the last time we're talking about this. Do you understand? There was a long pause, and oh boy, when my dad said those words, I understood. He then tousled my hair, and we headed out to play a game of horse. You'll understand one day when you're older, he told me. And in a moment, my anger dissolved, because dad was right. I did nothing to earn that kind of money. My friend's parents did nothing wrong letting us play in their driveway. Heck, we all played unsupervised back in the day. And that driver did nothing wrong either. I practically ran into his car, for God's sake. And he had to live with a recurring vision of hitting a young kid chasing a ball and injuring him pretty badly. What my dad taught me that day was a lesson about integrity, about doing the right thing, even if it cost you, and doing it with ease as if it were the only thing to do. My anger was soon gone, replaced by a bit of shame for coveting something I never deserved. Over time, the feelings turned to pride over being part of a family that did such things automatically. They did what was right even when it was hard and without anyone else knowing it, but us and that lawyer. Fast forward to two events around the time I applied for and then entered law school. I was in my late 20s and a bit lost, having tried my hand at a few jobs that neither inspired nor moved me. I decided to apply to law school. I had great grades in college, but when my LSATs, which are the SATs of law school, came in, they were not the kind of scores I needed to get into the school I was gunning for, the University of Virginia School of Law. I talked to a former college guidance counselor who suggested I use my ethnic heritage, I'm one quarter Arabic, to game the system. It didn't sound like a good idea, but I went home and talked to my dad about it. He didn't like the idea either. Then he came up with one of his own. Quote, why don't you just take a few months and concentrate on improving your LSAT and I'll pay for it, he implored. Then you'll know you got in fair and square. For the next three months, I parked myself in the local test preparation center and brought my score up above the 95th percentile. Six months later, the acceptance letter came 
I was moving to Charlottesville. Those three months doing practice LSATs taught me a lot about doing things the way they should be done, about doing work and not taking shortcuts. One year later came the biggest pivot point of my life. I was struggling in law school and wasn't happy, and a life reading law cases and drafting legal briefs didn't appeal to me. I called my dad. I told him I was thinking of quitting. And my dad said these words, I don't care if you ever practice law, but finish what you start or you'll regret it. He was right. I came back to Charlottesville with a new attitude, committed to making lifelong friends and studying the things I loved, like history and economics. The next two years were the best of my life. They were also the most important. Friends I met in law school would help me in nearly every walk of my professional and personal life. I can't imagine life without them. There were other pivot points in my life, but these three had a lasting impact on my character and my life, and if we're lucky, and I was lucky indeed, they helped shape us to be better versions of ourselves. And a special thanks to Robbie for producing the piece. Great job, as always. And a special thanks to the Daniels Fund, the great folks there, and the Daniels Fund Ethics Initiative, who sponsor our Do the Right Thing series. And by the way, if you want to learn more about the Daniels Fund Ethics Initiative, and how it can help your business, your nonprofit, your church, your family, any organization you're a part of, go to danielsfund.org. It's a great teaching tool, and in the end, it's a great way to learn how to live a better life. Because in the end, following the principles of the Daniels Fund, well, that'll do just that. And not a perfect life, by the way, folks. These are principles, and sometimes we all fall short. But what a guide star, what a north star for all of us. And I know what that... That, that encounter with my dad and that lawyer did for me. It shaped my entire life. And we all have those experiences where you go, my goodness, look at my dad. Look at how easily he made that decision. It was such a no-brainer. I wanted to be in that same place. I admired his peace about that so much. And it was because he had such integrity. It was not a hard decision for him. And in my business dealings, I've always thought about that idea of not taking something I didn't deserve, not trying to take advantage of a situation, of leverage, uh, anything like that. How do we add value in our lives? The story, my story of doing the right thing, actually my dad's too, and my mom's, here on Our American Stories. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 
smart journalism, fascinating topics, words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Doc Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 